Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to your book, A Shelf Isolation Special. I'm Daisy Buchanan, the author of The Sisterhood, A Love Letter to the Women Who've Shaped Us. This week we're locking down with a brilliant, beloved friend of the show, the writer, critic and addicted reader, Sarah Manning. Sarah is a journalist, she's Red Magazine's resident book queen, Twitter's greatest book concierge, and she's written about 110 billion brilliant books, both YA and adult fiction. It's not too early to pre-order her brand new book, Rescue Me, coming in 2021, It has a puppy in it. That's all we need to know. We talked about craving comfort in reading, finding refuge in the Second World War and the book from the 70s that was the three women of its day. What have you been reading during lockdown? You mentioned revisiting World War II. Are there there parallels or is it just nice to be reminded that it could be so much worse? I think it is that. I mean, for World War Two, like this sounds like I'm a terrible person, but I just sort of find my comfort in those kind of books. And I know there was a, there's a lot of conjecture about it's not like World War Two and how dare you compare it. But for me, I think just before lockdown happened and we knew something was coming, but it just all seemed a bit nebulous it really reminded me of the phony war actually so you know war was declared and everybody was evacuated including both my east end born and bred parents and then for six months nothing happened um and everybody came back to london and then there was the blitz so it sort of reminded me of that but i do i do just sort of think there are so many comparisons with world war Two in that just everything you know about normal life is gone in sort of a really fundamental way you know so for them their children sort of went away and you know they were at war but for us just such simple things of not being able to see your friends not being able to touch somebody not being able to just sort of walk into sort of Sainsbury's and have a sort of perambulation so so I sort of thought yes World War Two. this is kind of where I need to be so what have I Read. I read The Wonderful Debs at War by Anne de Courcy, who's one of my favourite non-fiction writers, and her speciality is just posh girls. Um, she wrote a really fantastic book called The Viceroy's Daughter, and that is just her specialty, is um, debutantes. So it was, it was really good, and you could just tell that she'd done so many interviews um, of all these girls who aren't just kind of like landed gentry, they're aristocracy. Um, So they'd been all brought up by nanny and governess and 
literally did not even know how to sort of pick their pajama their pajamas off the nursery floor i mean it was just that level of they couldn't do anything they couldn't even get dressed in the morning and then sort of joining up and sort of going into like the ats or sort of the wrens or going into sort of nursing but then because they were so frightfully posh you know, it was just like, oh, yes. And then, you know, my godfather was sort of the air admiral of the fleet. So he just said, well, yes, I think she'd be a jolly good officer. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> And then everybody they meet that's kind of vaguely working class is like crawling with lice, you know, and just can barely have, have no personal hygiene. And you just think, well, I think that might be a slight exaggeration. But it was quite funny to see sort of the world at war from that point of view because there are terrible hardships and kind of tragedy but also you know it's just they're just you know aristocrats are not like us it's like the past is a foreign country really 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 rich people that kind of point 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 one percent of society they, they are not like us so that is a really really good read and then and i suppose we're seeing um, that now happening as well aren't we that you know nothing changes it's sort of nothing changes some animals are more equal than others exactly and they all just sort of know each other because it's just such a small world if you only go to Eton or sort of like Harrow um it's just such a narrow world that of course of course you're going to sort of know everybody and you just sort of realize that that is that is where the real power lies, because it's not just that kind of Sunday Times witch list power. It's just of knowing those sort of people. You know, it's kind of um, before lockdown. I God, I loved it very much, but I read Nicholas Coleridge's um, account of his life in magazines at Condé Nast. It's such a great book, and he just comes across as somebody who is just so passionate about magazines and stuff that you just realise it's a world where he just glides. It's just a gilded... Every opportunity that he has is not an opportunity that I would have, not even because I'm a woman, but just, you know, he like failed all his exams, but, you know, he got into sort of Oxford because, you know, daddy knew somebody. All his jobs were like, oh, yes, well, I went to this party and then I met this person. And you just sort of think that just that career that he had. And, you know, I'm not saying that he wasn't a really sort of talented person because I think he he really sort of hugely is. But he just had all the opportunities. And when you have all the opportunities you have to be spectacularly useless not to sort yeah. of be able to make most of them. My favourite um, P.G. Woodhouse is The Indiscretions of Archie when he's, I think, does he marry an American girl? But it's, I mean, it's so funny. I remember it being funny and charming and great fun, but it is the story of a posh white man failing up. Do you know, I've never actually read any Woodhouse and I just, somebody once sort of told me that you either like him or you don't and I've always just sort of been a bit like, oh... Is it, have you, is it one of those things where you thought, I'm sure I'll get round to it one day? Or is it because he does mean so much to so many people, you're like, rather than risk not liking him, I'm just going to be ambivalent? I think it's a bit of both, but I think it's mostly I'll get round to it one day as well. But then there are those kind of um, writers. It's like Barbara Pym, 100% my type on paper. 
I want to like her. I've given her more tries than I ordinarily would another writer. I just cannot get on with Barbara Pym at all. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I keep, I mean, it's a long time since I've had a go, but I remember being a teenager and various people say, oh, you'll like this. This is your back. Really, really want to love her. But yeah, there's just that slight nervousness. Ordinarily, this wouldn't bother me, but I think she's just kind of too high church for me. You know, um, there's just something I can't connect with. And it's just so odd because, you know, all the people whose kind of book tastes kind of mesh with mine, or I really sort of value and trust their opinions, all love him, but she's just not for me. And it's always really sad when that happens. It's like Dorothy Whipple. I've only tried her once, but I will try her again. But it's just one of those things where you just think, but... I should, I should, I should like her, but I don't. But then don't you find that there are those books that nobody tells you about because they just assume that you've read them and liked them and then you have to discover them yourself? Because I came to the Cadillac Clock Chronicles really, really late. I can't even remember what made me start reading them and I just, I've recommended them to so many people over lockdown because I, you have to binge read them because once you've, they're like Pringles. Once you've read one, you just have to keep going. And I remember I read all four because she hadn't read the dodgy, she hadn't written the dodgy fifth book at that point. Just one Christmas, and just basically all I did for that kind of you know the great in between that happens. Yeah, Christmas. Yeah, I just read all four Kazlek on a cool books, and then actually just said to a friend, "Oh my god, these books are amazing!" And she just said, "Oh, haven't you read them?" And I was like, why didn't you tell me about them? And she just said, well, I, I'd have just assumed that you'd have read them because they're your thing. You know, I'm so jealous because I know quite a few people that are reading them for the first time. Well, I've never them. actually read them. And it's, again, I'm quite, because I'm like, people, you know, shake my, no, these, these are very much for you. But I was wondering whether there are any books that you have either enthusiastically loved and really like foisted on people and then it's not worked out or any books that you sort of learn to pull back from be like I want to tell everyone but because it's really I think it's really really loaded isn't it when someone's like I love this so much and you will too it's quite a weight I can be quite bombastic in my kind of you will love this I think sometimes I make people like books through just sheer force of will i mean the one that i always come back to is diary of a provincial lady by e.m delafield which would be all four volumes and i i always have spares of it because virago modern classics have done so many different versions of it that every time you ever go into an oxfam bookshop you're guaranteed to find and i just buy spares and when i make a new friend i'm like here here is this book you will love this book you will love this book. And actually, I think that's a really great lockdown read as well. So I, because it's so long and there's four volumes, I kind of always have it in rotation in that if I sort of need to decompress for a couple of days, I would just pick it up where I last last put a bookmark in and just sort of read. And it's just, I can't, I can't imagine that anybody wouldn't like it. But this is how you always feel about the books that you really adore, don't you? It's not just my favourite book. It's kind of almost like it's, it's, it's kind of in my marrow, that book. And again, it's really weird. These sort of, 
I just have this kind of real literary love of really sort of quite posh upper middle class women when that's just not my background at all but the thing I love about Diary of a Provincial Lady is you know, although it was written in the 30s I just read her and I I know her I am her I know sort of women like her all the people that you meet you just you just recognize it's like Jane Austen when you read Jane Austen it doesn't matter that you that she, you know she was writing those books over 200 years ago she's a literary lady the provincial lady she doesn't have a name in the books and so she lives in Devon and she comes up to London and it kind of mirrors E.M. Delafield's own experience in the provincial ladies the kind of her breakthrough and then she was sort of like a literary darling so she goes to these literary parties and meets kind of like these intellectual types and it's just you know it must just be like going around to sort of a channel four executives dinner party in stoke newington or something and as a book reviewer do you really feel the extra need for those books that kind of almost neutralize you i suppose after having to digest so much so quickly and it's all sort of strange and new and different and sometimes it lands and sometimes it doesn't to have that home in a book definitely I mean I'm really lucky in the a lot of what I read I really love a lot of books I read for review I do really love and there's always kind of a weeding out process before you even sort of open a book and sometimes you sort of read things because you feel you have to and you end up liking them I never used to read any crime at all um and now I do have to read crime and thrillers and actually there's some really great ones and some amazing writers I've discovered like Susie Steiner and and Jane Casey and Louise Candlish who have taught me so much about pacing and plot but it, it does feel a bit relentless that I'm kind of on a schedule. I'm always reading sort of three months ahead and then things come in and it's just kind of like, I, I'm just going to have to put that aside. But I'm a really, really fast reader in a way that actually people get quite <laughs> angry sometimes. But I read really fast. I expect a kind of average 350-page book. I will read it in a couple of evenings and, and I do sort of remember it, which was just such a great thing when I was at university where, you know, I had to read a really stodgy kind of set text the night before a lecture. And it's like the one thing I had to read all week, I would do it. But because I read so fast, I make sure that I have pockets in that month where I can just read what the hell I, I want, my, my treat books. I just started a reread of Penny Vincenzi's Spoils of Time trilogy, which is what I always, I, when people say I finished the Cazalettes and I'm just bereft and there's this gaping chasm in my life, I always say read Spoils of Time. Um, oh God, it's just, I just, I started um, the first book in the trilogy, No Angel, last night, and it was like slipping to like your lovely coziest pajamas that you you know that you haven't been wearing because it's kind of been summer and it just they're really long books as well I think the first one's over 800 pages and they start in 1900s and then at the end of the trilogy it's just just after second world war and it's set against um this publishing house called Lytton's and the book stuff is just so good so if you just sort of love reading about publishing 
I was reading, for some reason, in my pile this month, there's quite a lot of um, memoirs. Really, like, brilliant, funny, moving, beautifully written memoirs. But it was a, quite a lot of sort of being in the same sort of time and place for a bit. And I thought, I just need something that really, really, you know, takes me away. I don't want to feel necessarily anchored in 2020. Or I think that's why, you know, I love Jilly Cooper so much, because I kind of love her anachronisms, really love so many books from the 30s and 40s and nothing actually happens in them that is kind of the style of the day and they're kind of really all about characters so I think the most famous example is like R.C. Sheriff's A Fortnight in September which um republished by Persephone where it's this kind of very sort of lower middle class family and they sort of go for that annual two-week holiday I think it's to Bognor I think it's Bognor Regis, where sidebar, when I was about six or seven, we went on holiday to Bognor and it was just like one of the worst holidays we've ever been on. And it's kind of mum and dad and dad sort of works in an office and he's kind of climbed as high as he's going to. And so mum embarrasses everybody because she's kind of a bit parochial. And then it's kind of um, the eldest son and the, the daughter and they kind of know that, this is probably the last holiday they're all going to sort of go on. And, and it's just what they do every summer. And it's just nothing happens, but everything happens. And then I really love Angela Thurkle's Barsetshire series, which is kind of um, a take on Anthony Trollope's Barsetshire series. But she started writing them in the 20s and went all the way up to the 70s. They're just vaguely interlinked and it's just this sort of huge county with sort of posh people, not so posh people. And then the, the lower orders, they're all told like that because, you know, um, and nothing happens in them really. My favourite example is this book called Before Lunch. And it's basically, there's a, the plot is that there's a, a bit of land that somebody might want to develop on. And nobody's quite sure exactly where this land might be, but then there's going to be a parish meeting. And then in the epitome of nothing ever happens in these books, before the parish meeting, she literally takes five pages to describe what everybody in the village is having for lunch. <gasps> oh, sold, sold a thousand times. <laughs> They are being sort of diligently and beautifully republished by Virago, of course. But then it gets to the war, and I've loved them. But then when Labour get in in the 1945 election, Angela Thurkle is so enraged about having a Labour government that just they just the, their books kind of take a marked downturn after that, where she's just sort of ranting and raving about the dangers of of socialism. <laughs> I was just thinking though when you said that about how much I love reading um Victoria Wood scripts and those yes. short plays and you know thinking all the way up to something like Dinner Ladies and how much of that dialogue is what's everyone having for lunch you know what you watched on telly last night and that she could write something so sparkling and funny and economic and beautifully crafted that's just a load of people reading out from the Radio Times. So much of those sketches are just kind of seared into the national consciousness. And you might sort of meet somebody you've never met and they'll just say something 
and just a throwaway line and you're just like oh my god you're a fellow victoria wood fan you know it's almost um, so- like polari or so you know it's that kind of a code where it's like you know you get the nod how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We'll be back to Zara soon, but now I'd like to talk about a book that's come up on the podcast a couple of times. And if you haven't read it yet, I think you'd really, really enjoy it. It's a huge hit at the start of the year, but it feels incredibly timely now. Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reid, published by Bloomsbury. This is the story of Amira, who is living in the postgraduate twilight zone and working as a full-time babysitter, while Alex, the white woman who employs her, attempts to carve out a job as a feminist influencer. This is one of the paciest, funniest and most uncomfortable books I've ever read. It's an examination of race, economics and the conscious and unconscious biases and prejudices that govern human behaviour. Reed's prose is a joy. She's brilliant on detail and observation. If you love Meg Wolitzer, I think you'll adore this. But she's also written a story that needs to be read and one that really does have the power to change us all. That's Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Now back to Sarah. So what else have you been reading? I just read Kathy Rensenbrink's brilliant, brilliant memoir about reading, which have you got? I don't think it's out until it's, autumn. It's part of my scheduled reading. So I'm on August now. So I'm reading August and it's always the same. Every month I'm like, oh, I'm just so done with this month. I want to read next month. Mm. And then I read Loose Change, which you recommended. Um, I probably haven't read that book in 25 years, but... You know, I think when I was sort of a teenager, at least, like pre-internet, that, you know, you would just find books in like charity shops and then read them and then just read them and reread them. And I just loved that one so much. And it was like I said to you when you you posted about another book that you'd read. And I was just like, it's, it's like that book. 
it's like that book. And then all of a sudden I remembered the writer's name and I've been trying to think of her name for like a decade. So I was really pleased when you picked up the wreck and that you really enjoyed it. There's just little bits of it that I just remember so clearly, like um, the woman who decided decided not to take part really in the book of how she'd like play the piano topless so should we explain what the book is actually we so should, we? In my dim and distant recall and just jump in so basically i kind of pitched it to you didn't i as kind of a prototype three women three women so sarah davidson wrote this book called loose change and she wrote it as kind of like this real deep dive autobiography but also almost like this fiction of of her life and her marriages and relationships but also two of her really good friends from like college and it's all set against a backdrop of kind of 60s and high ashbury and kind of big sir and people kind of all that consciousness raising and civil rights and just these really 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 sort of terrible men so i sort of really sort of remember you know they were all into civil rights and stuff and then when all the women were just sort of like well hang on a second they were like oh women you know what's our position on the women's movement on our backs and they're just like you can't actually say that and and stop quite quoting marx and engels at us because marx and engels is on our side how do i remember that daisy how do i you know it's like i was saying you read those books and they just become kind of like a part of your DNA in the end. It really reminded me of three women in that way that it's just such a sort of granular sort of depiction of women's lives. Attention is paid to these details that seem small, but these are the details that are everything. There's a book I read at the start of the year, The Grammarians by Kathleen Shine. Have you come across it at all? I've read a couple of her books. But I haven't read that one. But it's about them growing up together. You know, they're in New York. Love a New they're, York novel. It's a, it's a really good sort of New York novel. It's, it's very sort of, you feel like you're in kind of Mrs. Maisel country as you read, yeah. even though it's a little bit more contemporary than that. I just think twin, twindom, twininess, it's just one of those things that as kind of a non-twin, you just can't really understand it, can you? Here's the thing. I'd love thing. to be Jessica Wakefield, but I think I'm spiritually completely an Elizabeth. I think we're all like that, aren't we, really? But is that what twin books are? I was in the attic. Mm. And twins don't get a good rep in literature, really, do they? <laughs> I wouldn't like to be Jessica Wakefield forever, but I'd love a fortnight of it. No, no, I wouldn't want to be either of them. But then I've always set myself <laughs> such store by I, I'm I'm different I'm you know I'm the weird girl I'm like Ali Sheedy in Breakfast <laughs> but then maybe I just need a makeover to make me look like everybody else. So one book that we both read that we haven't talked about but we absolutely adored is Business as Usual. Oh my God! Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned it because also it's a small press. So there's this amazing print called handheld press and um they reissue books and this one was um oh god it's so good so it's called business as usual and it's about a young woman from edinburgh who's engaged to a surgeon 
Sorry, that's a spoiler. <laughs> that That's revealed over time. And she comes to London for a year, just a year, because he can't get married just yet. And she works in the book lending department of a department store, which we all know is Selfridges, but it's not Selfridges. And she's kind of, she's quite forthright, but she is sort of young and naive at the same time. And the book is kind of almost told um, through letters home and sort of um, interdepartmental memos. And it's just, it's just wonderful. And we were talking about those books where sort of nothing ever happens. But I just have such a fondness for books written in the 30s and 40s that really sort of get deep down, sort of the nitty gritty of sort of how life was lived and that's then. Such a, nothing happening, but you do, it feels dramatic when she gets an extra shilling in her pay packet. You think, oh, yes. And it's like kind of how much her rent paid and how much she'd need for the gas meter and then like where she would go to sort of get her, her dinner and, and all that kind of stuff about little amounts of money and like her weekly I don't know about you but I the the love interest you can you can see it coming nice it was kind of a stealth love interest wasn't it it just crept up on you kind of slowly you're like oh how hang on a second no maybe maybe this is something that might be happening it's just so lovely and I guess it's because it is her letters and you feel everything as she feels it but it is in the way that it would be with a real life crush where someone gets in your head and you're like, hmm, oh, I don't know, oh, wondering about them. And then you sort of properly fancy them over a slow but steady drip feed. Yes. But also that this is someone who is a fan of her mind and her ideas. And I just, I just love a good business book. I love when someone's doing really well at work and is getting... Yes, yes. And I just sort of love that sort of real... It's that glimpse into sort of like the everyday world that I love so much. Do you know what? It kind of reminded me of ballet shoes because mm. I love ballet shoes by Noel Stretford. But when I sort of think about it in the abstract, I just think, my God, it's a really weird book in the... You know, I read it kind of in the 70s, but it's all kind of pounds, shillings and pence. And there's just a lot of it is sort of like much sort of detailed kind of back and forth about how much things cost. You know, that bit where they have to sell the bracelets that Gum has given them. And isn't it Petrova's bracelet is more expensive than the rest of them? So that hers is, and it's all to buy poorly their audition frocks. And it's just, it's just such a deep level of detail. But, you know, I read that book when I was eight or nine and I just kept coming back to it. But I just sort of think that is sort of really, if you had a children's book written now, they would just be like, what is this shit? Just cut it. So talking of reissues as well, have you ever read any Ava Ibbotson? I have not. Oh, Daisy, you're in for such a treat. Um... I love Ava Ibbotson. So she's very famous for sort of writing children's books. But then she wrote these books that could be sort of largely classed as YA, but they never really sort of found their audience because they were packaged as children's books. And Macmillan have been reissuing them. And last year, oh, it was such a thing that I ticked off my bucket list. I was asked to write the introduction for The Morning Gift. Oh, Shivers, as I say, which is my favourite, Ava Ibbotson. And then they they did two more, The Secret Countess, 
which I think Ella Risbridger did the intro for. And then I can't remember the other one. And then this year they're reissuing four more and they've got really gorgeous covers. And I just sort of think that they're going to find an audience of kind of, you know, people like us. So Ava Ibbotson, she was a refugee kind of, um, and she came over before the war. I don't, I think there was kind of like half Jewish parentage, but basically her mother was kind of an intellectual and she really, really fucked off the Nazis. So they came and they lived in Belsize Park, which isn't kind of, so the Belsize Park of like the 1930s is not the Belsize Park of sort of like, you know, investment bankers it is now. And it was just all these sort of Jewish refugees living in sort of like dilapidated boarding houses. And so the morning gift, it's got an arranged marriage in it, which is kind of like my my literary bulletproof kink. So it's about this girl called Ruth and her parents leave her behind in Vienna and they think that she's going to get out. But then she has an argument with a brown shirt and she can't get out. And so a friend of the family, he comes to Vienna and to get her out, they have to get married. It's, and, that, and that's how he gets her out. And then she gets out on the Orient Express with him as their honeymoon. But, you know, it's just a marriage of convenience and they don't love each other. And then they settle in London. And, oh, God, it's just delightful. And when you read Ava Ibbotson for the first time, you just feel like, I've read this book before on a cellular level. I mean, that's is that kind of thing I was sort of saying about... You know, when you reread an old favourite, it feels like you're rereading an old favourite book, even though you've never read it before. Oh, God, you would love them, Daisy. This sounds so far up my alley. I'm going to get right on this. I think the really good thing about, if there can ever be a good thing about a pandemic, is just the reading, really. And I know that some people have said to me they can't read. They just haven't been able to read. And I kind of get that. But I have been able to read and it's been so nice to recommend (laughs) things I've recommended the most when people have asked me has been the Cazalet Chronicles but also Georgetta Heyer so there's been a lot of people saying to me if I was going to read a Georgetta Heyer where where shall I start? Where would you start with Georgetta Heyer? I have a really soft spot for Regency Buck which was my first Georgetta Heyer. It might not be the best Georgetta Heyer but for me it just has kind of all the all the hallmarks that you'd want in a really good Regency romance but also being aware that Georgetta Heyer invented the Regency romance Mm. it's got a really young flighty heiress called Judith Tavernier and then she's got like a sardonic kind of guardian but she doesn't know that he's her guardian and she's got sort of like a kind of irrepressible younger brother. All the hallmarks are sort of Georgetta Heyer. Have you read The Blue Castle by Ellen Montgomery? I guess YA fiction. I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I find there's something really sort of in the loveliest, loveliest way. The emotions are a little bit more intense and a little bit more didactic. Like you can feel yourself being pulled in specific directions and you want to be pulled in those directions. Valency Sterling is 29, unmarried and considered an old maid and her family are awful to her. 
And I think, you know, she's always being compared to her pretty cousin. It's like, oh, it's such a shame you're so plain, Valencia, and no one wants to marry you. <laughs> it's such a shame you're so outspoken and you're so difficult and no one likes you. It is the old fairy tale. It's like Cinderella. We wouldn't enjoy Cinderella half so much if her sisters weren't absolutely horrible to her. I think that's kind of, we grew up being like, you know, wanting to be not like the Jessica Wakefields or the Bellas, but just like the headstrong, obstinate girls who just need a man or somebody to see them. Yes, that being someone who is like, everyone's got you wrong. Here is who you are. I always, I think I've talked about this quite a lot on the podcast, but um, the Vicarage Family. The thing is, I've never read a Vicarage Family because the next two books, you just can't get them unless you're going to spend, spend, spend. So we're talking about Noel Stretfield's autobiography, aren't we? Yeah, and it's sort of, it's as I remember, it was written as a novel. So it's, it's all, I suppose it's like early autofiction. She's she's quite the one for just recycling, much as I love Noel Stratfield, as you know. Vicky and the Vicarage family, who's Noel Stratfield, is just so, so like prickly and difficult and spends her life just having people sort of shout, like, why are you so difficult? Why can't you be more obliging? A little bit like Petrova, I guess. And yeah, something about that kind of girls and young women trying to find room to sort of you know do things on their own terms and I suppose you know then it was really fraught because you know really you were sort of meant to be biddable because still marriage was kind of like the girl I mean it's still kind of you know a girl now but you know a career was just sort of such a secondary thing it wasn't so much can you have it all it's very interesting sort of Noel Stretfield and that actress thing because so many of those writers of the time were all like failed actresses and things. Um, there's a really, really good biography of Elizabeth David, the cookery writer, and just so much of she was just a monster as a child and a teen. And um, and then she goes and is a failed actress in like repertory theatre. And I know that sort of Noel Stretfield was like a failed actress as well and there's a kind of couple of others and it is it just sort of seems to be that if you were like from a the difficult daughter of a kind of well-to-do family you decided to try and sort of take to the stage because there was like nothing else to do I did I just read a book that I think it's just come out um and it's called the Education of Ivy Edwards, and I think it's by Hannah Tovey, and it's very contemporary. I, yes. I really, really enjoyed it. And she's got a best friend who is an actress, and she's, you know, just kind of a a posh girl waiting for a break. And I thought that was really sort of nicely observed. I think because I know that character and that that person, and it was quite, and it was nice as well because it had, it felt very fresh. But it also just the details of it and the family and observation about the way people are with each other, and it had that kind of, not just because of the Welsh connection, but that sort of Gavin and Stacey feeling. I enjoyed that book as well, and I think it takes a good writer to write a good book about something. You know, nothing ever happens. It reminded me of Marion Keyes, who I've been returning to for some lockdown comfort reading. So when I was doing my 33-page editorial letter for Unsticky, and it was very genuinely, how did I ever get a deal for this book? Um, the heroine Grace, she's a really difficult character, but she was just such a fucking bitch. 
that I hadn't even realised. And the editorial letter was just basically, why is she just so mean and horrible? And my editor, Kat, just said, have you read any Marion Keys? And I said, I haven't. Because, you know, I don't, I'm not writing chiclet. I think this is kind of a rite of passage that every uppity young woman goes through when they, they get published. I don't write chiclet. And then two books down the line, you're like, I, I write chiclet and I love it. But she said, read Rachel's Holiday because A, it's a fantastic book, but also it's an unlikable heroine. So I read Rachel's Holiday and then, oh my God, I was just like a mad junkie for like Mary. I just read every single book that she'd written and she she is just sort of the mistress of and it's just that thing that when when she has a new novel out you just it's just you know you're in a safe pair of hands in a really lovely way you just know that nothing bad is going to happen to you while you're reading a Marion Keys novel or that even if it is you're like you know you know that when you I find if I'm in like one of those just terrible terrible moods and there's no talking to me. And I'm like, I just want someone to, to comfort me in a very specific way. And I can't even articulate specifically what I need. And no one in the world can, but Marion can. And even yes. in um, Grown Ups is the latest one, isn't it? Have you read that yet? Yes. Oh, God, I loved it. And the it. story, gee, too many spoilers, but even like, you know, the the bulimia, you know, it's, it's there's some dark shit going on. But it's still, it's almost like being on a retreat with a sort of genius therapist where you can access and explore these dark things but you're not going to be abandoned anywhere I just, um, also funny. and that is just you know you can take all your booker prize winners you know somebody like marion keys or what holly bourne's done with like pretending just the dark kind of avenues of like female experience just the really bad stuff that you know happens and they just articulate it so well and in such a validating way. But they also make it funny. And that's just genius, really. You know, I would love to be able to sort of do that. And I just sort of think those kind of books are just so important that they're out there and sort of women can read them and just sort of think, you know, I feel seen. You know, this has happened to sort of me and I'm going to be sort of all right now. But I think you do. I think about you don't have to say you love me all the time. I think that's that might be one of my favourite love stories because it's so... And it is. And again, it's that it's kind of the arranged marriage. I love, you can just see, can't you, that I just grew up on a diet of romance novels. That I just love those tropes of like the arranged marriage, the fake relationship. The emotions of being a woman in a woman's body and how painful and complicated and how much is going on there. You know, I wrote those books so long ago, particularly Unsticky, not so much you don't have to say you love me because I think you don't have to say you love me really just came from a really personal place. It kind of happened to me without sort of the really fit guy and pancake relationship. I wrote a YA called Let's Get Lost after my mother had died about a teen who had lost her mother. And I think those two books probably are my best books because they just came from sort of that place of real personal experience. Was Unsticky, I just feel like it's so long ago that it was written by somebody else. So I can kind of sort of, as much as I flinch about some of the writing and things, I can sort of 
just in, enjoy it because I just took everything that I love, sardonic older men, flighty young women, fake relationships, just shoved it in a book. Huge thanks to Sarah. Please go off and binge her back catalogue if you haven't already. My personal favourites are Unsticky, You Don't Have to Say You Love Me and The Rise and Fall of Becky Sharp. And of course, Rescue Me is available for pre-order. I'm Daisy Buchanan. Thank you so much for listening. Your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. Follow us on social media at WhyBooked. And I hope you're all keeping as safe and sane and well and cheerful as possible. Please keep reading and I'll see you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.